Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the Director of Community Life and want to share a warm welcome with you this morning. Thanks so much for your time and getting here. And um, as we begin our services, we like to just take a moment to arrive and to be here. I have um, a practice uh, exercise that I do that's called body flow. And um, the, as they're instructing you through, it's, it's a series of yoga and then um, Pilates and um, Tai Chi. As the instructor is going through, they'll say, now take your breath and attend to your breath and open your heart space. And so just hear that invitation this morning as we come and we breathe together, we worship together, and open your heart space for what the Spirit has this morning for all of us. As our call to worship, I have a reading from Jan Richardson. Um, if, I, if today, if they held ecumenical councils and I was going to argue for who should be included in the canon, Jan Richardson would be who I would say needs to be included. So hear this reading this morning. Dazzling. Believe me, I know how tempting it is to remain inside this blessing, to linger where everything is dazzling and clear. We could build walls around this blessing, put a roof over it. We could bring in a table, chairs, have the most amazing meals. We could make a home, we could stay. But this blessing is built for leaving. This blessing is made for coming down the mountain. This blessing wants to be in motion. It wants to travel with you as you return to level ground. It will seem strange how quiet this blessing becomes when it returns to earth. It is not shy. It is not afraid. It simply knows how to bide its time, to watch and wait, to discern and pray until the moment comes when it will reveal everything it knows, when it will shine forth with all it has seen, when it will dazzle with the unforgettable light you have carried all this way. Come and worship. Welcome. For those of you who are new with us, uh, we're so glad you're here. It's brave to step into a new place. It's brave to come to a church that you haven't been to before, so we just want to name that. And if you're new and you want to let us know that you've been here, we have uh, connect cards in the pews. Also, there's a QR code. Uh, you can go online and say, hi, I'm new. We'll, uh, if you so choose, invite you out for a drink of your choice just to hear more of your story and to tell you more about Awaken. We have some things coming up in the life of our community. Uh, one this week, we are leaving the season of Epiphany and heading into the liturgical season of Lent. So to begin that, we start with Ash Wednesday. And we will be having a service this Wednesday at 6.30. It's a Lent service, an Ash Wednesday service, so it is more somber, it is more reflective, it's more contemplative. We will be sharing the imposition of ashes and also the prayer team will be available uh, for prayer during that time. We also, with the Easter season coming up, we're hoping on Easter to share the sacrament of baptism. So if you have yet to be baptized or are interested in that, next Sunday after the second gathering, there will be a class, um, a baptism class that Pastor Micah will be leading 
talking about the theology, what's the meaning of baptism. So if you're interested in that, you can email Sarah at awakenwest7th.com to get registered for that. Also, with our Easter season, we are bringing the Easter choir. We're going to have a choir on Easter. Yes, 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 there's a fist pump. Um, During the season of Advent, especially at Christmas, we had just the most beautiful choir. It really was a holy time for our Christmas Eve service. And so um, we're bringing back a choir. So if that is of interest to you, you can register online uh, to participate in being the um, Easter choir. There's um, something that I now have the delight and the privilege. Um, well, first I'm going to introduce Judy Peterson. And um, just you've already met her as she's come up to the microphone and uh, done what she does so well. But she is a pastor at large. And uh, Judy is here just to share a word with us, or words from the Lord this morning with us. And she is a pastor at large. She's a dog walker. She's a ponderer, a deep thinker, um, an engager, and... We are so delighted when she gets to be here with us. So, Judy, we just really want to share a warm welcome with you. Judy, also, if you don't know, um, really is a pastor to our lead pastor, um, Micah. And I'm getting sentimental, um, emotional again. When I'm with people, if you don't know, I'm a spiritual director and I also mentor people. And when they start to express emotion, they always apologize. And I'm like, don't apologize. We have all the emotions. That's what God created us to be. So just so you know, I do get sentimental. And we just so appreciate, Judy, how you support um, Micah and um, are really here for him and for this community for the things that we are standing um, in and with. So thank you so much. But before Judy comes, we are going to have Nisha come and read the scripture. Come. Today's scripture is from Mark 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain... Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Okay, just an honest confession. I left to put more lipstick on. <laughs> oh, I just wanna I just wanna say that they're just the Lord just never wastes an opportunity. Um, and so in even in my vanity. <laughs> God's like, hey, there's this lovely family. Wouldn't you like to help them? And thank you for your generosity. I know it's kind of strange. You don't know me, and I just asked for cash. But I would say that it's way better for me to be asking for cash from you. One, it's crazy, but you trust me. And two, the likelihood that this woman would be cared for by you today would have been very slim if I didn't. But look what you did. You likely just paid rent or food. Or maybe healthcare. 
and, and, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you for trusting my crazy self. And maybe it's just a little um, prod that you can trust your crazy self, that this is not all as normal as you might think, um, but it's so fun. <laughs> so anyway, here's an honest confession besides my lipstick. I often feel a bit homeless in the spiritual sort of way. I'm socially super progressive, and yet I'm so absolutely in love with Jesus. I am highly academic and really smart, and yet I am delighted by the whimsy of the Spirit. I am absolutely been set free from the fear of hell. I don't even believe in it, yet I have been cho- I've chosen to bind myself to a certain ethic in this life, not because I'm afraid, but because I think it is good and very good. For these reasons and so many more, in this season of church and life, I have found myself difficult to find my people. When I'm with my friends who identify as progressive, I am so compelled by their commitment to justice for all. I believe in social safety nets and transgender rights and that all black lives matter. I believe in bodily autonomy and criminal justice reform and an end to the death penalty. I believe in an honest teaching and reckoning with American history, which whatever you ban uh, in its teaching is still going to be true. It's still going to include the depravity of colonization of the Americas and the genocide of the indigenous people and the co-opting of Christianity to do it. It's going to still include the evil of buying and selling human beings and the degradation of generations of black people and the co-opting of Christianity to do it. It is still going to include the, the bigotry of the Chinese Exclusion Act, Japanese internment camps, and the Christians who defended it. It's still going to include the feminist movement and its jettisoning of the patriarchy which seemed to have circled back around like a boomerang. I call it the manorang. And it's still going to conclude the black, a black president and the white lash that followed and a pandemic and the Asian hate that ensued and a large amount of Christians who felt just fine about all of these things. I want an honest telling of history. And I love gathering with people who want to do that. Yet, when I gather with those who champion such things... I find that faith is so often so deconstructed that almost all devotion to the divine is met with disdain. Talk of intimacy with Christ and offer to pray, the sharing of scripture and a desire to worship or any personal piety is all too often greeted with just a roll of an eye. And when I gather with those who identify as conservative, which doesn't happen all that often as it used to, because sadly everybody isn't all that welcome among them, I find I am still so grateful for their easy talk of the Spirit and of their firm belief that there actually is a divine unfolding. Yet, there I find myself longing for an honest conversation about systemic racism and gender and sexuality and beating our swords into plowshares, which I just call reasonable gun reform. But I know that if I bring these things up, I will more often than not be shut down, written off, or cast out of those places. And last Sunday, I was just really feeling this. I was feeling the loneliness that that I had nowhere to go. And I had no plans to to head to church. And I know that some of you, especially those of you who are watching online, listening to me, will resonate with the fact that even though I felt lonely, I had no plans to go to church. Because I wasn't sure that I would find my people there. People who want to live between devotion to Jesus and justice, between worship of the Almighty and working towards the healing of the world, between an unequivocal belief in God and becoming good news of great joy for all people. But this morning, I am now hopeful. I am hopeful that maybe I have found some of my people in this very room. The passage of Scripture I was given to preach today is entitled The Transfiguration. And when I have spoken about it previously, I have always emphasized the word the in front of it. It's the transfiguration, as if it was a one and only sort of event. But listen to this. The word transfiguration simply means a complete change of form or appearance into something more beautiful. Anything or anyone can be transfigured. Your trash could be transfigured into a beautiful sculpture. 
Our winter yards are about to be transfigured by the arrival of spring. Our pain can be transfigured into a testimony. The trajectory of our faith could be transfigured from cynical to hopeful. The witness of the church could be transfigured. Anything and anyone can be transfigured, can, can, be, can be completely changed in form or appearance into something more beautiful. Anything can be transfigured. In fact, in our passage today, it declares that even things that are already divine can be transfigured can be turned into something even more beautiful. Because in our passage, Jesus is said to be transfigured, changed into something more beautiful, right before the eyes of Peter, James, and John. Now, Matthew says Jesus went from just having a normal human face to having a face that shone like the sun, from a normal clothes being transfigured into robes of white as... Uh, as robed in clothes as white as light. Mark says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. And Luke says the appearance of his face was transfigured and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Jesus, the divine, was transfigured into something even more beautiful. So for those of you who feel like, hey, I'm all good, I got this, I just want you to invite you to consider Jesus was transfigured. And I'm pretty sure there might be even more beautiful iterations, even for you who have it all figured out. All three Gospels tell the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And I find it meaningful that in all three Gospels, the story of Jesus' transfiguration has the same prologue and epilogue. By that I mean that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story of the transfiguration is bookended by the same stories. Now, this does not always happen in the, or in the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, because in the telling of Jesus' life, these are not documentaries. This was not um, live feed sort of stuff. Th th these, are, these are theologies that are written, and stories are placed in different orders in different Gospels to communicate different things. But the story of the transfiguration is remembered, meaning put back into the membership, between the same two stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't know if it means something, but I found it meaningful, uh, which, which I'm going to say about, a little more about. Prior to Jesus' transfiguration is a story where Jesus explains to his disciples that he is going to have to go into Jerusalem, and he's going to have to suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He does not say, I'm going into Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of Rome. I'm going into Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the leaders of my own faith tradition. In all three Gospels, Jesus makes clear that things are not going to unfold as they had come to believe they would. Their entrance into Jerusalem would not end in their overthrowing the established regime but rather it's going to end in Jesus' death. In all three Gospels, Jesus then calls for those who want to follow him to be willing to pick up their own crosses, to lay down their own lives, and to be willing to submit their own unfolding story into a greater purpose. And in all three Gospels, the story of Jesus' transfiguration is followed by the same story. The story of a man who brings a child a child who has been plagued by a demon since childhood to the disciples for healing. And they are unable to heal the child. Jesus enters onto the scene, and with his help, the boy is then healed. Now I want to come back to these bookends. You're going to have to die. I'm going to die. You're going to invite your, lay down your life. And listen, y'all aren't up to the task. A clear explanation that Jesus is going to have to face a confrontation with his spiritual leaders and persecution at their hands, um, that it's not going to be glory to glory, that it's, it's going to include suffering, that it's going to require all of us that want to follow Jesus to give up thinking we're going to gain the whole world and instead choose a different path, that it's going to include laying down our lives, and the disciples finding their own limitations to keep at this. What do we get ourselves into? And we clearly can't do this or keep this up. 
between an overturning of a previous theology and walking into a new life, we find the story of the transfiguration. It's been meaningful to me this week. Now, the story itself isn't all that complicated. Jesus takes three of his disciples. They go up in a high mountain, and while they're there, Jesus' appearance changes in the ways that were already mentioned. For the sake of shorthand, you could just say he got a glow up or he was on fire. Okay, whatever you want to say. In addition to Jesus' appearance changing, Elijah and Moses appear and are talking with Jesus. Now, this must have been a little bit shocking because these guys have been dead like a long time. And Luke actually says what they're talking about. They spoke about Jesus' departure. (laughs) Okay, maybe you don't think scripture is funny. But these two dead guys who are apparently now alive are just chatting it up with Jesus about, hey, when are you coming to visit? I mean, it's just... Funny. Okay. Maybe you didn't get it, but it's very funny to me. Okay. Um, in response to witnessing their rabbi glowing and then their long dead favorite prophets actually alive, Peter says to um, Jesus, Hey, Lord, it's good for us to be here, right? If you wish, I will put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. First impulse let me build a house for this shining human and the two ghosts. It's funny. Okay. Mark adds a little explanation. It's like, yeah, the guy didn't know what to say. He was like freaked out, okay? And Luke is like a little bit more snarky. He's like, he did not even know what he was saying. <laughs> like, okay, you have issues. We're going to go to counseling. While Peter was still offering in his building plans to Jesus, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. You should listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. In in Matthew, the story wraps up then with the disciples coming down from the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus telling them, don't go telling everybody what just happened. In Mark, Jesus says, don't tell anyone till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And then the disciples talk among themselves about what rising from the dead means. I mean, how many meanings really are there, right? Um, Maybe two, metaphorical, real. Uh, I have experienced metaphorical resurrections. Tons. Where I was like, I am dead. I'm alive! Okay, and I'm really hopeful about the real one. I can't promise, but I'm hopeful. That that's going to happen too. Then, before they head down the mountain, there's this very short conversation about their belief in Elijah's second coming. And this is actually really important. They believed Elijah was going to be a precursor to the Messiah. And Jesus is making it clear to the disciples that John the Baptist was the metaphorical Elijah. And that he himself is going to be suffering the same fate. Again, super healthy reminder that even when you think your theology is abundantly clear, even when you think you know exactly what you're looking for, we all have a very limited understanding of how God's story is actually unfolding, even the most religious and faithful among us. Now remember, Jesus' transfiguration happens directly after This rather disorienting change in theology and overturning that's kind of upsetting to them. Hey, you're not going to (laughs) win. This isn't going to go down like you thought. It's going to be hard. And right before, they're going into a situation where they're in over their heads, beyond their capabilities. Between these two things, it's not going to go like you want, and you're absolutely ill-equipped, they have an encounter with God. Between an overturning of their theology And being in over their heads, they're given an undeniable experience with a living God. Let me unpack it. First of all, I want to state this for myself. I unequivocally believe there is a God. And I have chosen to believe in a God who reveals themselves to us in and through the person of Jesus the Christ whom I believe was the full revelation of God. Meaning, I believe if we want to know what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. That God is like Jesus. I also want you to hear that I believe that Jesus sent his spirit to be with us and in us. To work through others for us and to work through us for others. You did that this morning. I can't say yet whether she helped us or you helped her. I don't know. But that exchange of the Spirit, I believe, did happen. 
And I believe the Spirit of God it remains active in the world today. So that people, even today, even right now, even in this very place, can have a real encounter with a living God. Not just an encounter with the church. Not an encounter with the theology, not a, a, an encounter with a really great testimony, or even an encounter just with loving kindness, which is all good. But I believe that the end goal is to have a personal encounter with God. I have chosen to believe that this is possible. Because for me, it was not a church, it was not a theology, it was not a testimony, and it was not even someone else's loving kindness that caused me to believe in God. But rather, it was an encounter with Jesus, where Jesus was transfigured, changed for me, in front of me, in real time. Now, it did happen in a church, and I know they had a theology. And at that point, I had heard plenty of testimonies. And the reason I was at the service was because of a group's loving kindness that had invited me to their small group and put up with all my pushback. But none of that was enough to compel me to make a decision to lay down my life. Not the life I thought I was going to live. I liked it. None of it was compelling enough uh, for me to actually decide to follow Jesus. It was Jesus coming to me in a vision that convinced me. Now, I know there are plenty of people that don't believe in visions. I know probably maybe some of you might feel cynical about it. All I can say is that I had a vision where my opinion of Jesus transfigured in front of my eyes, where Jesus changed for me. My opinion of Jesus changed for me. And Jesus, all of a sudden, was the loveliest thing I could ever, ever have imagined. And I want to testify that it is only what I have come to believe in the presence of this Jesus showing up in the middle of all my life when I felt over my head, out of my league, it's only Jesus' real presence that has sustained me. I am not sustained by a theology. I'm definitely not sustained by the church, although you seem quite lovely. I have been sustained by the, the real presence of Jesus the Christ. It has been, it was, an encounter with God that has made and continues to make my faith possible. And I think this is how life with Jesus is meant to work. It's supposed to work because we're with Jesus. And, and so I'm guessing, I, I'm just counting on Jesus showing up for you too. Because the truth is, I believe that's on God. To transfigure a person's understanding of Jesus. That's the Spirit's job to be convincing. And I think we, we see this clearly in the text today, that Jesus is asking his disciples to change their very understanding of God, to change their theology, to, and to change it in a way that life is going to get hard for them, to change it in a way that's going to bring them in conflict with the religious elders that they've sat under, to change it in a way that's going to cost them something. It's a big ask, and it seems that God puts it on God's self to convince them of this. I mean, it would seem radically unfair truthfully. If God required people to change their whole way of thinking, <laughs> to upset their entire lives and possibly lay their life down on a sneaking suspicion with no real actual reassurance. Think about that in a contemporary way. If God said, hey world, I want you to believe all this really unbelievable stuff. It's unbelievable. The gospel is unbelievable. I don't care how many books I've read. It's really not that believable. I believe it, but it's unbelievable. And God says, but all I'm going to offer you to convince you is a world full of witnesses who are maybe well-meaning, but who largely lack credibility, and a lot of them who have caused harm. All I'm offering you as a way to convince you to lay down your life for me is a church, a church that can't even seem to figure out how to be good news of great joy for all people. All I'm offering you is an ancient text and a whole bunch of interpretations of a story about me, interpretations that are all different, that all think they're right. I mean, it would be radically unfair, wouldn't it? If God required people to change their whole way of thinking, upset their entire lives, possibly lay them down based on shaky testimonies and questionable characters. No, I can't believe that that's how it works. I can't because I've met Jesus. And I believe Jesus is the full revelation of God. And Jesus showed up for people. 
And because the scriptures do say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I believe God has plans for God's self to keep showing up in a way that transfigures Jesus for people. I trust that God is going to do that. Now, it may not happen in this lifetime. Truth is, there's been a lot of harm. And there are some people that they really would want to believe, but they just can't. They cannot believe God is good. Their child died. Their cancer was not healed. Their son was killed by the police. They've been in bondage for decades. They've been bombed by a Christian nation. They can't. They simply can't. And, 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 and this is why I believe there has to be some sort of, if God is going to be kind or just, there has to be some real for real you get to see Jesus for who Jesus is before any big decision is made about any sort of outcome. Otherwise, it would not be kind or just. Based on us, on que us questionable characters, you've got to be kidding me. No, I believe God is still showing up, that God will reveal God's self so that people can, can believe God. And I trust God to do that. But I think that much of the church doubts that God can do that. And I, I think as a result, much of the church tries to create something convincing, just in case God doesn't <laughs> convince people. I think much of the church feels responsible for conjuring. Call it what you want. And I just want to offer that whether or not God shows up, that's not God. I never conjured God my whole life. Our job, our job is to try to keep our hearts open to the possibility that God just might <laughs> show up. And that God just might show up in ways that we have not foreseen in ways that we maybe had written off as we don't do that anymore. That's what we used to do. It's not for me. In ways that might upset our previous theological convictions. In ways that might be outside of our comfort zones. In ways that may very likely call us to lay down our lives as we know them. And if Jesus has already been transfigured for us, which Jesus has been transfigured for me. He's the loveliest thing I know. We need to be really listening for what's next, rather than just simply building what has been built before. We need to be really listening for what's next, rather than just what's building what was built before. I found it interesting that in our passage today, when Jesus is transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, Peter's first response was to simply offer to build something he was already familiar with. And I think Christians like myself, we often have a similar response. We encounter God, and then like Peter, we're like, well, we can't stand here, so we just should build something. And we end up building things that really make no kingdom sense, like empires and platforms and names for ourselves, because we just build what we know. Isn't that what we do? All, all too often, all we know how to build are structures we have seen built in other places and in previous seasons. So the best we can come up with is let's build four walls so, so Jesus can hang out in them. And I think we need to remember, remember, put back into our membership, that the voice that came from heaven did not say, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, build him a building. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Tune your ears into Jesus, into what Jesus is doing. If I can make just a simple sidestep here. My mother asked me how I was feeling about preaching today. And I confessed that increasingly I resonate with the Apostle Paul's statement when he talks about the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of I or someone else putting letters together to form words. Words to form sentences. Sentences to form a sermon. In the hopes that some sentence or sentiment might hold a compelling truth that leads you to the beauty of Jesus. I mean, I want this to happen. I want to be faithful. But you see, I've never conjured Jesus. And so more and more, I don't want people to settle for my sermons. Alejandro! Alejandro! Come here, Vin! Vin! Vin to me. Come on. Come up and see me. Come on. You know you want to. Come on. These are my notes. Say hi to everybody. Hi. Come on, you can come too. 
Come say hi to everybody. But you're so beautiful. Come on. Come on. Hold my hand. Okay. I don't want people to listen to me. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that sometimes we preachers, we satisfy a bit of hunger for the voice of God, like a diet pill. But you're actually not that full. You actually are not nourished. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Turn your ears into Jesus, to Jesus, into what Jesus is doing. Right, Alejandro? I know. It's so right. So that you don't just keep building the structures you have always known. But instead begin to enter into a way of life that listens and lives into the way of Jesus. You want to go to your sister? Come on. Okay. Dios se bendiga. Keep listening so you can enter into a way of life that listens to and lives out the very ways of Jesus. Did he not say, let the little children come? Because, my friends, the world is really needing Christians who can actually hear Jesus. I think this is what made me really uncomfortable with the He Gets Us campaign that so many got a glimpse of during the Super Bowl last week. Maybe you saw the commercials. Stunning, really, pieces of marketing. Yet I have to wonder if commercials aren't a bit like Peter offering to build Jesus a shelter. Hey, Peter, it's a nice offer, but I don't need you to build a house for me. An empire for me. A platform for me. I'm about to head down to a mountain to actually invest my resources into healing a hurting world. I mean, just think about it. $20 million that were spent on two commercials about Jesus. And I, I'm just not convinced that this is what it looks like to listen to him. Not when there are poor without housing and food. Not when there are war-torn countries whose houses have been reduced to rubble. And not when 40,000 just died in, in Turkey and Syria who need resources. 20 million on two commercials as if Jesus couldn't just show up in people's living room in a vision if Jesus wanted. Do you not yet believe that? Our job is not to build a show. Our job is to listen to Jesus in the hopes that we can show up like Jesus. We cannot transfigure Jesus, but we can live in a way that doesn't lead people to discount Jesus. We can choose to live in a way that gives people a reason to open up their hearts to the possibility that Jesus might be the loveliest thing. And I would add this, we cannot behave so poorly that when God does show up in other people's lives, that they are like, nah, I know your people, I'm not that interested. Because we may not be able to make Jesus believable to other people, but we can at least try to not make him unbelievable to other people. There is a point to Jesus being transfigured into the most beautiful thing in front of us. And, 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 and apparently it's not to build him a house, although this is lovely. And it's not just to stand there and worship him forever. For directly after the disciples hear, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Jesus comes and touches them and says, get up. Don't be afraid. And then they walk down the mountain because what Jesus was building was not a mountaintop experience and it didn't need a structure at all. It was a movement that was going to show up where the hurting people were to help them in the world. In the scriptures, the transfiguration, the moment where who Jesus actually is becomes more clear and more beautiful, which I believe is necessary if we're going to lay down our lives for him, the moment where who Jesus is actually becomes more clear and more beautiful to you than the life you had thought was going to unfold, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is his lovely gift. It's so nice. This is going to be so hard. Here's Jesus. You can know he's real. Okay, it's so great, but it's not the end goal. I don't know if you are news watchers, and even if you are, perhaps you don't pay attention to larger events that are happening in the church. Uh, it's not what you curate on your feed. I get it. It's discouraging. But I like to follow what's going on in the larger Christian movement because as a pastor at large, I'm pastoring people from all over the world in all sorts of denominations and in all sorts of contexts. This, 10 days ago, at Asbury University down in Wilmore, Kentucky, it's a Methodist university, it's been in the news. And about 10 days ago on campus, they gathered for a regular chapel service. 
announcements, a message, just what we've done. But in the normal dismissal time, worship continued. And the students just kept worshiping. And just kept worshiping. For days, they kept worshiping and Instagramming themselves that they were worshiping. I, okay. Now, 10 days on, thousands of people from around the country have descended upon Wilmore, Kentucky, and, and, and the praise and the worship has just kept going. Some are calling it a revival. We can at least say something's going on. Now, I want to confess that I personally have really had to pray that, there would, that I would be open to what God is doing in Wilmore, Kentucky. By nature, I am not a cynical person. I really don't have a cynical bone in my body. I mean, it's super annoying. But my own experience in the church has left me skeptical. The reason is I grew up in the 80s and 90s when bigger, faster, better was just beginning to invade the church. When the church was becoming the best show in town. Lights, smoke machines, videos. And I remember uh, all of that in my childhood young adulthood. And in the early 2000s, I was on all those stages and platforms. And we worshipped, man. We really did. There were lots of great speakers. We fell on our face and worshipped. And, and then, 81% of those who had gathered in those spaces voted for someone who was openly racist. 81% of people voted for someone who wanted to build a wall to keep out immigrants. 81% of those people had voted for someone who had a verifiable past of, of multiple sexual assaults. 81% of people voted for somebody who's been habitually unethical in their business dealings. And it maybe stung even more because a lot of those same people had said about the previous president, a president, a black man, that the reason they were uncomfortable with him was not because he was black, but because he wasn't Christian enough. Now, I know people have the reasons for voting particular parties. And I know there are faithful followers of Jesus, I hate to say this, on both sides. But I have to tell you, it really threw me. It really did. And I know it threw a lot of other people. And I think at the core of why it threw us is because we are asking, weren't we all just worshiping Jesus? Jesus, who broke down the culture of racial stereotypes in his own culture by sitting with the Samaritan and calling the Samaritan good. Jesus, who cared for the marginalized and oppressed. Jesus, who stood on the side of the woman who was, had been assaulted or was about to be assaulted. Jesus, who called his followers to a higher standard. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. It threw a lot of people because intuitively it seemed clear to us that worship was not the end game. Worship didn't do much in, in the world in and of itself. Seeing Jesus transfigured, seeing Jesus become the most beautiful thing during those mountaintop experiences, it was also meant to transfigure us. I so want to believe the Spirit is at work at Asbury, the College of the Cumberlands, Lee University, some are saying Bethel. You know, it, I, I, man, young adults, they're dying out there. They really are. And for them to have a real encounter with a living God that cares about them, that brings a peace that makes no sense, I want that for them. God just might be working in ways that I hadn't foreseen, in ways that I had written off as not for us anymore. But you see, I want people to have a personal encounter with Jesus. I pray for this in ways that, 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 that maybe I hadn't imagined. I want people to see Jesus transfigured in front of them to become the most beautiful thing. But I don't want that to be the end goal. I've already gone to that rodeo. Rather, as a confirmation, I want it to be a confirmation uh, to the call that God is going to say, lay down your lives. And they're like, I would, because he's real. I want it to be the great compelling for them to keep listening to him as they walk down into a life that's over their heads. But I'm going to hold off on calling it a revival until I see if the lives that come out of this extended worship end up looking more like the actual life of Jesus. For now, I want to stay open to the possibility that God is showing up, offering a new revelation of God's self. I want to be open to God giving people new visions of God's self. I know it's what first compelled me to lay down my plans for my life. And I know that along the way, it's been a vision of Jesus that keeps compelling me. 
change my theology, even in the face of pushback from my religious leaders. And I know it's what sustained me, as I have walked into a world that is so in need of healing, and I'm so over my head. I began the foolishness of this preaching endeavor this morning, confessing that I often feel a bit homeless in the current spiritual conversation. I'm socially really progressive, and yet I really love Jesus. Highly academic, and yet completely delighted by the whimsy of the spirit. Free from the fear of hell, and yet choosing to be bound by a particular ethic out of my love for Christ. And I told you that I I was largely going to preach this to myself, um, and I'm thankful that you've been here with me, but... I pray that perhaps as letters became words and made themselves into sentences, that maybe there was a word here or there for you as well. But mostly what I'm praying for is that our hearts would become open again to Jesus being transfigured in front of us, Jesus becoming the most beautiful thing in front of us, and that the beauty we encounter will be so compelling that we won't just try to build something to contain Jesus, but that we'll want to listen to him and to follow him into a world that is so in need of people who will show up in hurting spaces with a healing touch. Because I believe this is what people who have been transfigured by the, tr- the transfiguration <laughs> should do. And I pray that we'll remember along the way. I pray I will remember along the way. As I live between devotion and action, between a past life and a future one, between a theology that for me is much passing away, and a new one that's taking on shape, that when I'm feeling a bit lonely, maybe when you're feeling a bit lonely, that you would remember, put back into your membership, that you are not alone, that you are in fact accompanied by a living God who is indeed the most lovely thing. Let me pray. God, you said you would show up. You would show up in the face of the poor and the hungry, the naked and the imprisoned. And I'm just considering that we might have seen you already this morning. I think I know I already saw you this morning. And thank you that I didn't have to conjure you, that you just walked through the door. And God, I pray for each and every person here. I know that there's all sorts of reasons to be skeptical about all sorts of things. But I know you're real. I pray that you would transfigure your own self in front of them so that they could say, Jesus is the most beautiful thing. And I pray that you would transfigure our lives. Like Moses coming off the mountain, that our faces would be shining. And that there would be more healing in this world because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the opportunity to come to communion. It's one of my favorite things. And because I'm not in church very much anymore, I rarely get to serve it. But your pastors are all gone, so I get to. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body It's broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembering me. Do it in putting me back into your membership. In the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this this blood is shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembering me. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a long time or even ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come not because the church invites you, but because Christ invites you to be known and to be fed here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
The table is ready for you. We're going to lead, have worship. You come down the side aisles, and there's um, communion on both sides. Um, wine is red, and the juice is the white, and it's labeled, and all of the bread is gluten-free. And um, we do communion by intinction. You take the bread, and you dip it in the cup, and if you forget and you eat the bread, there's lots of Jesus to go around. Just get another piece of bread. Dip it in the cup, and you'll take them together. Let's worship. Again, thank you for your generosity. I'm probably as blessed. Because sometimes the church, you know, it can be hard. It's just fun to see the church be the church. So thank you for that gift. And if I could leave you with a benediction, a blessing. I think everybody should be blessed at least once a week. And so if you just lift your face up, uh, no hanging your head in shame. This is just God wanting to bless you as you go on your way. And so now may the God who loved the whole world so much that they simply couldn't stay away, and so they put on skin to come and walk with us. May this God, who I believe is most clearly revealed in the person of Jesus the Christ, now go before you to guide the way into an open-hearted life. May this God go behind you to encourage you to be at least open to the possibility that Jesus might be transfigured right in front of you. May this Jesus be above you, calling out to you, this is my child whom I love. And may you know this is much about Jesus as it is about you. May this God go beside you to be your most intimate traveling companion. May you walk so intimately with this Jesus that you're able to hear everything they have to say everything. And may this God go within you to give you the peace that passes all understanding. This is a peace that makes no sense at all. A peace that just might come to the whole of the world if we don't put Jesus in a box but join him in a movement. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Find us online at www at awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.